Look, Stephen said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you as we do each week to join us here this morning. And we trust that you are here with us wherever we are. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I never thought that I would identify with a murderous mob. But this week I found that I did. Normally, when I read the story of Stephen's stoning, I prefer to identify with the one being stoned, the righteous one, than I do with those doing the stoning. But this week, something is different. This week, we're in the middle of the second month of something called NTI. That means non-traditional instruction. More specifically, that means me teaching or attempting to teach my elementary and middle school children. Uh, Most specifically, that means me being at home with the little darlings all day, every day. Now, I know that the stereotype is a parent trying to tell a child something, only to have the kid stick their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 la. But I find that it's not my kids who have their fingers in their ears. It's me. God bless and be with primary school teachers and homeschoolers because, oh my goodness, these kids are so loud. And yes, I asked, they're sitting right here, and I asked them for permission to use this as an illustration. It just never stops. And if you don't intentionally interrupt it, it just increases exponentially again and again. On more than one occasion, Aya and I have looked up at each other during dinner only to find that we both literally have our fingers in our ears. We just can't take any more. Now, I haven't found myself in a murderous rage, but... All of a sudden, I can sympathize. The closing of the school system has done the impossible. It has made me cover my ears and be sympathetic to the murderous crowd that stoned Stephen. You heard the reading from Acts chapter 7, right? Stephen witnesses to the crowd. Look, he says, I see the heavens opened. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And the crowd covered their ears. And with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. And they kill Stephen. Now let me give you a little bit of background to what happens here. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen is described as full of grace and power and as someone who was doing great wonders and signs among the people. This means that he was preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and doing great works in his name. And so, par for the course, this made the Jewish authorities angry, and Stephen is arrested and dragged before the council. And when he's asked 
if these accusations against him are true, that he's speaking blasphemy against the law and against Moses, Stephen responds by preaching a sermon. And that's what fills almost the whole rest of Acts chapter 7, right before we got to our reading this morning. In the sermon, he tells the story of God's people, how the Lord called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, rescued Joseph, then allowed his people to fall into captivity in Israel, only to rescue them again through Moses. And Stephen wraps up by reminding the council that God gave Moses the holy law, only to find that the people rejected that law, carving idols for themselves. And finally, Stephen compares the Jews' rejection of Jesus as their Messiah to this rejection of their forefathers of the law. Here's what he says in Acts chapter 6. This is verses 51 and 53. You stiff-necked people, says Stephen, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. You have to imagine that by this time the council has had it about up to here with this Christianity stuff, with this you rejected and murdered the Messiah stuff. Peter preached it. The disciples have been going around proclaiming it. They've been trapped with these Christians for weeks, all day, every day with the little darlings, and they're starting to get loud. And now here's Stephen giving it to them again. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Your fathers killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, and now you betrayed and murdered him. You who received the law but did not keep it. It's exponential. It's driving them crazy, and they can't take it anymore. So they stick their fingers in their ears. Luke writes that they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against Stephen. The people cover their ears against Stephen's witness, against his message, against the truth that they are sinners in need of a savior. Consider for a moment the distinction between this and the reaction of the people to Peter's sermon from Acts chapter 2 that we just read a few weeks ago. The climaxes of the two sermons are almost identical, aren't they? Stephen says, Your ancestors killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, who you have now betrayed and murdered. And Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter's audience, we read in Acts, was cut to the heart, and they repented and were saved. 3,000 people came to saving faith in Jesus Christ that day. Here, 
a different audience, hears the same sermon, the same accusation, but does not repent. Instead, they grit their teeth, put their fingers in their ears, and become enraged. They close their ears to the message and murder the messenger. Peter becomes the first human head of the church. Stephen becomes its first martyr. In the film Rudy, the titular character, a young about-to-be-college student, desperately wants to attend Notre Dame University, but he doesn't have the grades to get in. Out of options, he goes to see a local priest. And after telling the priest his story, Rudy asks, Have I done everything I can? Can you help me? And the priest answers, Son, in 35 years of religious studies, I've come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. Upon hearing this, Rudy covered his ears and with a loud shout took up a stone. Oh, no, wait, that's not what Rudy did at all. But you might have sympathized if he did, right? This is the offensive message that Peter and Stephen preach. This is the message that the Christian church has been given to proclaim. This sermon, the one preached by Peter and Stephen, is the sermon we've been given to preach every single week. There is a God, and you're not him. Rudy's a good Christian boy, so he's not offended. But this is as offensive as it gets. There is a God, and it's not you. He decides what's right and wrong, not you. You do not make yourself. You are his creation. It's no wonder that Stephen is murdered. Jesus preaches the same offensive sermon in John chapter 14. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the claim that makes people cover their ears and want to kill you. It is offensive in the extreme. I am the way, not you. I am the truth, not you. I am and the life, not you. We humans are ready to cover our ears at hearing this and take up stones. But when the Spirit of God moves, something amazing happens, something that turns the whole thing around. When the Spirit of God moves, scales fall from a sinner's eyes. And then this very same sentence, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This very same sentence becomes good news to the faithful, both the brand newly faithful or the long-term faithful. You don't have to find your own way, your own truth, or your own life. It is finished in Christ. You don't have to be God 
in charge of saving yourself. You have a God. And He has decided to save you. So, you see these two things going on, right? We have the same proclamation, the same word heard in two completely different ways. You're not God. What? How dare you? On the one hand, and you're not God. Oh, thank heaven. On the other. My favorite down-to-earth example of this is the proclamation, I'm coming to get you. If you hear that on a dark and stormy night from a voice that you don't recognize, it's terrifying. I'm coming to get you. But if you're in a broken down car on the side of the road and the voice is the voice of a loved one, there couldn't be anything more comforting. I'm coming to get you. So it is with the proclamation that you need a savior. It makes total sense that the world would stop up its ears and go, la, 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 when we preach the sermon that we've been given to preach, when we share the message we've been given to share, there is a God, and it's not you. It even makes sense that on occasion we might find that that message works someone up into a murderous rage. You are in desperate need we say. On your own, you are dead. These are not comforting words unless your eyes have been opened to the truth. Unless you've been on your own and have come to realize that you are dead. Unless you've tried to make your own way and have discovered that you are a complete failure. Then, these words become words of profound comfort. Jesus' claim to be the way, the truth, and the life can be, can be heard as exclusive. To be sure, there is no other way. No other truth, no other life. But hear those words now from the perspective of a dying sinner. There is a way. There is truth. There is a life. There is Jesus for you. This is the good news for sinners like me. Sinners like you. Now, it follows the bad news. You are not the boss. You are a creature, not the creator. There is a God and you are not him. He decides what's right and wrong, not you. But listen, sticking your fingers in your ears isn't going to make it not true. It is the truth. There is a God, and you are not him. So let us repent. Repent of our desire to be God, of our desire to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. Repent now for the first time. Repent for the hundredth time, for the millionth time. Repent knowing that you're only maybe moments away from needing to repent again. You need a Savior. And you need one every hour. Now here, 
that wonder of wonders, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have that Savior. There is a way and a truth and a life. And it is Jesus. Jesus who lived, who died, and who was raised again. You have that Savior. A Savior who has made a way. A Savior who is the truth. A Savior in whom there is life. And life eternally. Indeed, His own life. The life of the very God that you are not. Given to you. Hallelujah. Thank God today and forever. Amen.